All right, open your Bibles up to the book of Acts. We're going back into the book of Acts, and we're going to chapter 11, verse 1. Now, after Easter, we have some new people who start coming here, and um, we want you to know that you should catch up. If you're going to start attending here, checking out the church, we're grateful for that. But you should really catch up on the sermons you missed in the book of Acts. They're all available on our app. Our app is also, so if, if you're techie, you can find in our app, anything you need. You can find the, uh, the voice only, the podcast version, or the sermons with the video. So you should download our app today, but you can also go onto our website. Also, it's available in podcasts. So if you're just driving around and you want to catch up on the sermons in the book of Acts, get our, get our podcast and uh, find Anchor Church. And you can even go, people have told me before that they had a lot of time on their hands, they were recovering from an injury. They'll just listen to a whole previous sermon series on like Heroes of the Old Testament. So make use of our, of our digital media, but we would love for you, if you're newer here, to catch up. The series is called Let's Go Change the World. That's where our thousand-day vision has launched out of, and we want you to get fired up about that. The title of the sermon today is Peter Did What? Everybody say, what? Cross your arms and get as offended as you've ever been. Like, get the look on your face. Like, like and then say, What? No, no, you're not meaning it yet. Really mean it. Say, what? So maybe you've been in that position where you went somewhere you weren't supposed to go or you were with someone you weren't supposed to be with and then your parents were like, you did what? Peter comes back after a pretty cool mission journey where God does awesome things and there's all these angry people like, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you went with those. So it's all centered on Cornelius, who is a Gentile, God's going to break down some huge walls in the church today, and we're going to see that Peter's in hot water, because he did what? And I always try and like say the sermon in a sentence. It was really tough this week, but here's the bottom line. This sermon is about how you should be courageous in your witness to go and share the gospel with anyone and everyone on earth, okay? Peter did that, and now he's in big trouble because he did that. So you should be emboldened to go and do that, even if it gets you in big trouble. Okay, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would guide us through this passage. This is really a retelling of the story of Cornelius, and whenever repetition happens in the Bible, it's there for a reason. Luke, the, the Gentile writer, really wants us to understand how important this story was. So I pray that you would show us, Jesus, why we are camping on Cornelius and his heart, his awakening to the gospel, his household getting saved. Show us why this is such a crucial moment in salvation history and embolden us to be courageous to go stretch ourselves across any lines, culturally, racially, uh, nationally, and to win people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Peter says this, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. You know, when I started going to church, I didn't know the Bible words. You know, I didn't know, Gentile, what is that? I actually didn't even know what the word gospel meant. That's where I started in college. So Gentile means non-Jew. So if you're not Jewish, that's you, Gentiles. Gentiles also had received the word of God. We're three years past the resurrection here, and the Gentiles are just now being reached with the word of God, or at least in the sphere of Peter and the Jews. Paul was already out there doing the work. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, now who are they? Well, these are Jews who got saved and became Christians. They're also very zealous for the law of Moses. They were perhaps former priests. 
Levites, and they know their Bibles. Moses was awesome. They really want everyone to still think Moses is awesome, but Jesus is getting all the fame. So the circumcision party criticized Peter, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Everybody gasp. There's a big no-no. You do not eat with those people. You do not sit with those people. You do not talk to those people. Now, racism in the U.S., bigotry, we know the damage that can do. We know the damage that is still doing. This was worse. You know why? Because not only are those people different from us culturally, they're culturally, they're ethnically, they're different from us spiritually. And if you are around those people, they will contaminate your soul. Then you come back and you get the whole nation spiritually filthy. <sighs> Imagine if that's what you were raised on. And now we know the story. Peter, God revealed to him that he should not think that way. But these other people are like, I can't believe you did that. Number one in your bulletin, you can write this down. We have to understand the drama of what's going on. There's drama. Understand the drama of what's going on. Stay at a church long enough. There will be drama. And here in the church, there is drama. You did what? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, this is review, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. Behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's front and center in this passage, okay? The Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa, bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. Remember that word, saved. <clears throat> you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning, referring to Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave, God gave, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. See, now you're all feeling pretty bad that you were mean to me, aren't you? You crossed arms and you're sassy. And where were you and what were you doing? What do you got to say about all that now? They were quiet. This is awesome. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Wow. We have to understand the drama. So the Jews who were raised to be separate from the Gentiles initially were like, so now we're just supposed to eat with these savages? If we let them in? Here's where it went next. Well, then they've got to obey the whole Old Testament. They've got to get circumcised. They've got to follow the laws just like us, eat the foods that we eat, because that's how we honor God. The vision was meant to show that the 
Mosaic covenant with the food restrictions, the circumcision, and all of that was leading us to Christ. In Christ, he fulfilled all of that. Now, under the new covenant, Jew nor Gentile has to live out all of the ceremonial laws from the Old Testament. Okay, Not because they were worthless, but because Christ fulfilled them. It takes a long time in Scripture for Jews to really let this sink in. Okay, But this repetition of a narrative shows how important it is. Luke writes because they and we need assurance that the gospel is true. They also need clarity on what is the gospel that's being taught, and they need crystal clarity on who is included in the good news. Crystal clarity. That's why repetition is happening. Boy, if they got this wrong, it could have crippled the mission of the church for hundreds of years. No, no, it's just for us Jews. You want in? Go get circumcised. Start following Moses. Good luck. Well, that's not what happened. Jot this down. Let's give a little background here. God chose Israel to bring a Savior to the world. Israel did have a special place among the nations. And you might be wondering, what does Jewish history have to do with me? Why are we talking about circumcision? Well, God called Abraham to go to a place he would show him. And he told Abraham circumcision is a way that Abraham would show he and his household were devoted to God. Remember, circumcision came about before Moses, not after. Abraham was saved by faith in what he believed. There was no Ten Commandments yet. So from the very headwaters of the people of God, it was faith that got Abraham righteousness, and there was a promise that one of Abraham's offspring would bring a blessing to the whole world. I bet you can guess who that is. I'll give you three guesses. Go ahead. What's your first guess? Jesus. Usually the right answer in church. Well done. So from the start, there would be this one offspring who was going to bless the whole world. Okay, so God did choose Israel to bring a Savior to the world. And then God's people missed it. Here's Bethlehem. Here's the three wise men, right? They're coming from afar, following a star, because all of Israel missed the Savior's birthday party. It was foreigners who had to come from far away to give glory to the one who was born king. That's pretty embarrassing to miss their own king's birthday party. So God chose Israel to bring a savior to the world. They missed it. Jot this down. Israel grew proud and forgot their purpose. They grew proud and forgot their purpose. So they would say things like, we are Abraham's offspring. And they got real proud of that. They thought because they were the best of the bloodline, they were going to heaven the best of the bloodline. Now, that was false. John the Baptist in Luke 3, 7 and 9 hammered away at this from the very beginning. He said, don't you even think of saying to me that you have Abraham as your father. God can bring Abraham's offspring from rocks. So he chopped that down right away. Don't get all high and mighty on, well, we're the offspring of it. Not the point. So they were trying to combat this nationalism and this pride in performance, but they didn't care and they didn't listen. Paul would address this issue uh, comprehensively of the purpose of Israel and how they blew it in Galatians. That was AD 48. And get this, 15 years after the resurrection, Paul's still sorting it out for them. Very slow to figure it out. Then in the book of Romans, AD 57. Now you're talking over 20 years after the resurrection. He's got to write all this down because they still didn't figure it out. Then the author of Hebrews wrote in the 60s about the whole thing because it was still not clear to them. So Israel, the Jewish Christians, 
um, were very slow to embrace their true purpose and very stubborn in their proud nationalism. So they grew proud and they forgot their purpose. In Galatians 3.8, we'll put it on the screen, Paul says this, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. From the beginning, it was a national plan to save people of every nation, and Israel was like, no. Now we're understanding the drama. Israel, because of this, wanted just a political savior who would get the Gentiles out of here. They were very slow and stubborn to see their purpose to reach the world. Jot this down. So the Spirit broke down the walls between Jews and Gentiles. It had to be a God thing. It had to be a God thing or the barriers would still be up. The Spirit broke down the walls between Jews and Gentiles. It's unthinkable that these barriers were overcome in such a short period of time. And it's clear that Peter said, heaven said so. An angel appeared to him, a vision from God. The Spirit said, can it be any clearer? Heaven is working to break down these barriers. Why? 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 So that the church can go and be a witness to the whole world. That's why. In Ephesians 2, 14 to 18, here's what it says. Precious theology here. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. That's Jew and Gentile becoming one in Christ. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the total restoration of all humanity in Christ. This is anyone from any nation, tribe, and tongue can come and have full access to the holy presence of God because Jesus died on the cross for them. That's the gospel. That was Israel's message. They were supposed to see it, embrace it, and share it. So how is your heart right now? Because this sermon really is about Peter getting whomped because he was a good witness. Is your heart that any group of people, any person, anywhere on the planet is loved by God at the cross and welcome to share in the same spirit you do, to become equally accessible to God, filled with the presence of God, do you embrace and reflect this gospel love for all people? Or in your heart, have you harbored hatred, condescension, bitterness, or disregard for a certain group of people? Have your words disparaged people, those people? And does that cause you to avoid them or to condescend upon them? How's your heart? Do you see how a gospel of love is incompatible with a heart full of resentment and hatred toward a select group of people. Do you see how that pride exposed in your heart is what heaven is hacking away at right now? And just like the early church, if there are any walls between you and any group of people or any individual person, no matter what they've done, that will prevent you from being the witness God wants you to be. Have you repented of all arrogance, condescension, of all hatred for other people, 
Have you forgiven those who have hurt you? And has that wall that has grown up between your heart and others come down? Hey, friends, Jesus came down to rescue us. If he hadn't crossed that barrier, you wouldn't be saved. We can't brick up the gospel and refuse to share it with certain people or punish those who do. This is the heart of Christ. Maybe you need to repent of your cold-heartedness, your neglect, careless words you've spoken, or flat-out hatred for certain groups of people who you see as less than you or less worthy of Christ than you, certainly less welcome than other people. This bigotry, this hatred, this condescension can flow along many lines. It could be racial, it could be national, it could be financial. There can be, you can have in your heart big problems with people for a variety of reasons. I would invite you to repent of that today. Hey, understand the drama. God chose Israel to bring a Savior to the world. Israel grew proud, forgot their purpose. The Spirit broke down the walls between Jews and Gentiles. If we are going to go change the world, these walls have to be broken down in our hearts and in our church also. All right, number two, write this down. The gospel is good news for the whole world. That's the bottom line. The gospel is good news for the whole world. So when it comes to the spread of the gospel, it says in verse 18, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's read on to verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. All right, understandable at first, but you know, like Jesus did that too. It was first, first to the Jews, but it's supposed to be spreading. It's not spreading yet. Heaven had to intervene. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So this would be Greek-speaking um, Greeks or Greek-speaking non-Jews, the, the Hellenists. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. So revival's breaking out among the Gentiles. And the church in Jerusalem is slow to figure that out. And now they're catching up on what God is doing. The Apostle Paul's already ministering in Gentile areas too. They are catching up on that. We are supposed to see here that the gospel is good news for the whole world, that the whole world can be saved. You should in your own heart conclude with passion that the whole world can be saved. And here's the thing, that the whole world must be saved through Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't think that the whole world can be saved. Well, they doubt the power of the gospel. And some people don't think that the whole world must be saved. They doubt the necessity of the gospel. Well, people, you know, in other countries who follow other religions, they'll be okay probably. You got to, in your own heart, embrace what the Bible teaches here, that the gospel is good news for the whole world. Listen to the words used throughout this passage. They can be saved when they believe, and there's repentance that leads to life so that they can turn to God. That's what must be happening all around the world. Do you have in your own heart a conviction that the gospel is God's good news for the whole world and everyone needs to hear it in order to be saved? Is that your conviction? Here's a picture of Antioch. These are really awesome cities. Sometimes when you think of the ancient world, you think of people living in mud huts, right? This is the Roman Empire, friends. This is civilization 
And there's Antioch where the gospel is spreading. Imagine in that city, revival breaking out and people getting saved and running to their neighbors and hearing about it and finding somewhere to get baptized and a church meeting somewhere there for the very first time ever, ever, ever. This is how the church grew. What an awesome thought. Do you see it? So we have to be saved. I want to hit this hard before we take another step here. Because a lot of people today don't believe people need to be saved. A lot of people in this room don't think they need to be saved. And they think they need to be taught. They think they need to be better. They think they need to be religious. They think they need to have a little faith. They don't think they need to be saved. But the Bible uses the word saved, uses the word repentance, right? And it was told to Cornelius in verse 14, this is a message by which you will be saved. So you've seen the um, earthquakes that happened in Turkey and Syria, right? A month or two ago. Terrible buildings collapsing and people were trapped. And um, I saw a powerful video on social media of a family that got trapped and the rescuers that were trying to dig in to pull them out. So check it out. All right, thank you very much. So, uh, welcome to Earth. Okay, you are trapped under the rubble of a collapsed civilization known as humanity. Welcome to Earth. That's what you need Jesus to do for you. I don't know if this has never been told to you, but you are hopelessly trapped under the weight of sin, and if Jesus doesn't pull you out, you're going to go off to hell forever. This is the gospel, friends. And, and I can't say this is good news without sharing the bad news for you, because if you think you're kind of an angel with little wings and doing your best, and therefore God's going to love you forever, why did Jesus even have to come? You are trapped under the ruins of humanity, and so are your neighbors around you. And that's why you've got to get dragged out, and then you've got to get back in there and help others to get out too. If that's not what makes your heart beat in the church, you're missing it. And you're defying the scripture. One day you will see that there are only two roads after this life. It's too late then to care for your neighbor. So we got to get there now. The gospel is good news for the whole world. Jot this down. So we must believe the message of God about Jesus. We must believe the message of God about Jesus. This is why Luke writes this whole book, that you can believe the message of God about Jesus. It's true. You can be assured that it's true. Cornelius and his conversion shows that Jesus is alive. In verse 1 of chapter 11, it calls this, that they had received the word of God. Do you realize that's what this is? This is the message of God. This is not a bunch of men sitting around some pub thinking up some new religion. This is the word of God. It is Theonustos, God-breathed, and the very Spirit of God has authored this book. Therefore, it has divine power to save you. It's called the message of life. The message of life. And it's for the whole world. 
Here's a picture of the cross and the tomb. Easter last week, this is what we commemorated. Jesus died on the cross. There on the cross, he took all of your sins on himself. Then he, was di he died, he was put in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose again to break the power of death forever. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Have you staked your eternity on this message? Or do you still think you're good enough to get into heaven on your own? Friends, repent and believe the good news. It's called a message of repentance. It's always been in the Bible by faith. In Romans 4, Paul argues that Abraham was saved by grace through faith in the promise of God. He heard what he was told, he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in the Old Testament and the New, we are saved by faith, not by works. If you're still on the, I'm going to do my best and work hard and be better than other people and be kind to animals and be a patriot and let people in in traffic and therefore I'm good enough, you're on the wrong path. It's never been by works. Our works are called filthy rags in God's sight. Go home, clean the toilets, look at the rag. That's, that's your best works. That's why we have to be cleansed of all of our sin. Is that your faith? So life in the original in Genesis came from God's voice, and spiritual life comes from God's voice too. This is the living word of God. So we must believe the message about Jesus. Jot this down. We will then receive the promised Holy Spirit. We will then receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so it says in verse 16, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us, verse 17, when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So when we receive the Holy Spirit, uh, we become a temple of the living God, and God is with us forever. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the Jews at Pentecost uh, happened like never before, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament. It was a fulfillment of the book of Joel, uh, Joel 2, and it commemorated that Jesus is the Messiah. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is the Messiah. He's alive. That's why it happened. The Spirit fell in power like never before, and in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, 37 to 39, uh, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, right? Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. There's a lot of false teaching out there about the Holy Spirit today, so please listen to me carefully because you might be misled on what you've heard about the Holy Spirit. You are saved by the Spirit's work in your heart. It's called regeneration. You're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, 100% of the Spirit comes to live within you. You don't need a second filling. You don't get saved again. And we have to be crystal clear on that. You get the Spirit just like everyone else the moment you are saved. But there's this amazing thing that happens here. It says when Cornelius was saved, they began speaking in other tongues. Uh, they were prophesying and exalting God. What does that mean? Well, there was a miraculous outpouring of God's Spirit several times, usually when the gospel was reaching a new group of people. The Jews, boom, Pentecost fell. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, boom, another one with the Samaritans. Now, boom, Cornelius with the Gentiles. Uh, some of John the Baptist, you know, later in Acts, boom, they will have some of these sign gifts too. But throughout the book of Acts, it's not normative. It's not required that every time someone gets saved, they start speaking in tongues. Some people today have contradicted sound doctrine on the Holy Spirit, and I want you to think clearly about this. 
Here's three red flags. If you're watching someone online or reading a book or a blog or you've been to a church, here's three red flags that you might be exposed to false teaching about the Holy Spirit. Number one, if people are teaching that if there's nothing visible happening, therefore the Spirit isn't there, that's a false teaching. That's a false teaching. I don't see any visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit, therefore the Holy Spirit isn't there. That's a false teaching. Because the primary way the Holy Spirit manifests His presence is through the Word of God and the fruit of the Spirit in the heart. Lives being transformed. So if someone says, if I don't see Him, He's not there, that's a false teaching. Number two, if I don't see it in your life, He's not there. Have you spoken in tongues? No. Have you shared a word of prophecy? No. Well, then you probably don't have the Holy Spirit. False teaching. That's red flag number two. They're judging your spirituality based on an external manifestation of the Holy Spirit. That's red flag number two. Number three, if a leader isn't manifesting super spiritual things like miracles or healing or even raising the dead, he's probably not anointed by God. That's red flag number three. Let me be clear with you. No one on earth has the authority or the power of the apostles of God recorded in the book of Acts. And if anyone says they do, they are lying to you. There is no one who has ever gone into a hospital and emptied it out like Peter did in his city. No one. Raising the dead? Watch out. And there's entire schools of ministry now devoted to this, as if that's where it is. Friends, it's a distortion of Scripture. So watch out for these red flags. If it's not visible, the Spirit's not there. If you're not manifesting it externally, the Spirit's not in you. And if the leaders can't do miracles, then the Spirit's not with them. Red flag, red flag, red flag. Well, what are the green lights? If you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, it's very clear what God expects for worship. Worship has to be conscious. So if there's tons of unconsciousness going on, that's a warning. Conscious, coherent, it has to be understandable and controlled. It has to be within the control of people who have an orderly form of worship. Green light, green light, green light. I hope that helps you to discern and to not be misled. God has accepted the Gentiles. He's indwelling them. He's present in them. And this miraculous outpouring of his spirit on the front end shows that the gospel is open to the Gentiles. It is not meant to run around and say this is now a test of salvation for everyone. All right, so we will then receive the Holy Spirit. Jot this down. Anyone can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 18, they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Praise God that anyone can be saved. Hey, have you been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? We collected sermon response cards many weeks ago. I like to read them. One woman's story is this. I was at a low place in my life, and a client who was a Baptist answered some questions I had about God. I started going back to church in 2008, accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Since then, I've studied the Bible and precepts, seen how God has changed me and using me for his glory. Praise God. Somebody else says I was lost, miserable, broken, and scared. 911 happened, feared what was going on in the world, read the book of Revelation, and feared even more, and wanted to know or find the good news. I was told by my 12-year-old nephew that if I read the book of Romans, I would never be the same. I think that says 12 years old, or just my nephew. I read Romans 9-29-2001. My life changed. God's Spirit spoke to my spirit, and I knew I was born again. These are stories of lives being changed. Do you have a story of when you were saved? 
anyone can be saved, but it has to be through repentance. That means you turn away from your life of sin and you have faith in the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then have you publicly professed your faith? Cornelius and his household got baptized and they told everybody they were now Christians. Have you done that? Number one, understand the drama. God chose Israel to bring a Savior to the world. Israel grew proud and they forgot their purpose. The Spirit broke down the walls between Jews and Gentiles. Number two, the gospel is good news for the whole world. We must believe the message of God about Jesus. We will then receive the Holy Spirit. Anyone can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ. A lot of the area of doctrine covering the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. There's a lot of pneumatology. You doctrine lovers are going to love this. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ. That's number three. The Holy Spirit is coming up all over. In fact, one historian and scholar said that the book of Acts should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Fifty-six times Luke mentions the Holy Spirit in Acts. Seventeen times Luke mentions the Holy Spirit in Luke. Let me do a quick uh, tracing of the theme in Luke, because Luke wrote both these books. Luke showed in his gospel that the Holy Spirit authenticated Jesus as the Messiah from the start. It was by the Spirit that the Virgin Mary conceived of Christ. And then prophets like Zechariah, Simeon, Anna, Elizabeth, and Mary spoke by God's Spirit words of prophecy. And they ID'd Jesus as the Christ by God's Spirit. Then God anointed his son with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. The Spirit came down like a dove on Christ. This empowered Jesus to do signs and wonders. Jesus said that the Spirit would then come on his disciples like never before, which was a fulfillment of Joel 2, and then at Pentecost, every believer was filled with the indwelling presence of God. This is not the way it happened in the Old Testament. The Spirit would come and go on certain people like deliverers uh, or, or kings. That's why David said, take not your spirit from me when he sinned. Moses longed for this when the Spirit was poured out on some of his leaders, and some of his friends were like, stop them, stop them. And Moses was like, I wish every one of them had the Spirit. Then maybe I'd have less drama. Well, that was fulfilled in the New Testament. So therefore, the church is now the temple of the living God on earth, the place of the presence of God's Spirit. Luke is showing that everyone from every nation tribe is invited to become this. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Christ. Jot this down. He saved us once and for all. He saved us once and for all. It says again in verse 14, a message by which you will be saved. It says in verse 16, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says it's a gift, not by works, in verse 17. And it says in verse 18, repentance leads to life. It's all from God. Then, 1920, it keeps spreading. It, the gospel is breaking out. The Spirit is falling. Many people are believing. And I love that it says in verse 21, turning to the Lord. So getting saved means you are turned away from the world and turned to the Lord. So we are, uh, the Spirit does many things, but one of the things He does is He seals us for the final day. We don't believe you can lose your salvation. We believe you can be a false convert, that you 
went along with it externally. You, fought, you, know, you came to the men's chili cook-off and loved it. Great. But maybe on the inside, you haven't fully repented and accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. We don't know. Time will tell. But he saves us once we're saved, once and for all. It happens when the Son of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God converge on the soul and drives us to repentance. When I was a kid, we went on vacation to Florida, and I was so excited uh, to go swimming. And I put my suit on, ran out to the hotel pool. Back then, they had diving boards, you know, because we were tougher back then. We knew how to operate such machinery. <clears throat> so I went out on the diving board. I was so excited, jumped into, the, jumped into the pool and forgot I couldn't swim. So I'm on the bottom of the pool. I don't know how old I was, three. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, lightning. I'm just there. Praise God. There was a stranger, a woman, who saw me reach down, pulled me up out of that water, and then went and found my parents. I was saved. Now, if you have never in your life imagined that there you are standing at the bottom of the depths of the pool looking up and you need Jesus to grab you and yank you out, then you're not saved. You need to be saved, pulled up out of destruction. So the Spirit saves us once and for all <clears throat> through Christ. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, we'll put it on the screen, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it <clears throat> to the praise of his glory. So the Spirit gives us confidence that we are children of God and that we are saved once and for all. How were you saved? When were you saved? Do you see how if you were raised thinking you had to do your best, do your best, do your best, and then at the end you're like, I don't know, am I getting in? You've actually got it backwards. The crisis happens when you hear about Jesus' death on the cross. If you believe he died on the cross to take away all of your sin and you repent and turn to him, all of your sins are washed away in a moment. In the blink of an eye, you are acceptable to God. That's the crisis. Then the process the rest of your life is God transforming you. Not to see if you're going to get in, but to show that you've already been saved. Do you have assurance that you are saved, not because of what you're doing or not doing, but because of what Christ did on the cross? Then when you're saved, you're saved once and for all. The Holy Spirit makes you a brand new person. It's an unfathomable moment. Solomon said the highest heavens cannot contain God. And yet all of the immensity of God's glory comes inside of you when you're saved. Wow. Are you saved? Jot this down. Then he sanctifies and transforms us every day. So salvation is we're saved once and for all. Sanctification happens for the rest of your life. Salvation is one moment in which everything changes. Sanctification is a million moments that continue to transform you. They're two different things, and salvation comes first. People too often think that you need to get to, like, graduate level. Well, I don't have enough faith like Daniel. I wish I had enough faith. I wish I had all of that. Like, you're trying to graduate before you feel like you're in God's kingdom. Friends, you're born again, and you become a Christian. It's a birthday party, not a graduation party. You haven't leveled up enough to be acceptable to God. You have been born again. Happy birthday! Blow out the candles and you're in. Then you follow Christ out of love, not out of fear. Please understand how these go together. Salvation first, sanctification second. Then God transforms you every day. How does he transform you? Through the Spirit. 
so that you can reach your full potential in Christ. I like to think of it as a before and after. The longer you walk with Christ, the more you're transformed into his image. And the longer there's a lack of fruit or a stubbornness or rebellion in your heart, the more the question is, are you truly saved? Here's a picture of a homeless guy. And then somebody, um, a beautician, said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make it one of my missions to, to give homeless people uh, a makeover and then to help them find their way, get a job, you know, find their way back into society. So she got to work on this homeless guy. He volunteered to do it and check out what she did after her work. There's the before and there's the after. It's amazing what an external transformation can do, but it's even more amazing what an internal transformation can do. And as the years go by, that's you. Internally, you're set free from the bondage to decay, and you become a new person more and more. Hey, marvel that the Spirit lives in you, that we are all equally accepted by God, loved by Him, useful to Him. This is where our Christian unity comes from. This is where our diversity comes from. And above all, this is where our witness comes from. We've got to get out there, because we've been rescued, and we have to rescue others. Finally, jot this down. He equips us to serve Christ and the church and the world. The Spirit saves us, sanctifies us, and equips us to serve Christ in the church and in the world. The apostles were given gifts to write the Bible, perform signs and wonders. The church was given speaking gifts from teachers, evangelists, gifts of knowledge, praise, and prayer. Serving gifts like deacons, administration, helping, giving, mercy, exhortation, encouragement. That the body of Christ might be built up so that we can go and tell the nations that Jesus is alive. You can know by God's Spirit in you that Jesus is Lord. You can repent and be born again and saved. You can be sealed by the Holy Spirit so you live knowing you're going to heaven. You can become useful to Him in the church and in the world to help other people find this life too. Wow, wow, wow. So we got off to a rough start this morning when you folded your arms and got sassy with me. Am I right? And you said, what? Now I want you to unfold those arms... Put a little smile on your face and say, wow. God did what? He saved all those people and he wants us to go reach all of them? Wow. I hope there's really a wow in your heart because the fact that God would save us, wow. That he would dwell in us, wow. That he would guarantee that we're going to be with him in heaven forever, Wow, and that if we go and tell others he's going to use us to save them? What great news. Let's pray. Jesus, we are blown away by just how good the news is that came down from heaven. You want us to be bold, courageous, loving witnesses to go and make disciples of all nations. Wow. Thank you for the assurance that we received when we were saved, born again, transformed. We became new people. You pulled out our heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Wow, wow, wow. But you want us to go and share this news with others. Lord, there are perhaps some here today or online, and they were confused or misled. Maybe they thought they were going to heaven but they've never been saved. They were relying on their own goodness, their own religious works, but they realize now that Jesus must pull them up out of that water and save them. Maybe there are people who were misled into thinking that they can't be saved. They were so 
filled with guilt and shame. And based on the things they've done in this world, they thought they were condemned to hell forever. What good news they've heard today! That it is by grace we are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Maybe there are some here today who want to pray the prayer of faith and believe this message of life and repent. Lord, I just give them right now the opportunity to do that. In your own heart, you can say this with me. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Say that in your heart or even out loud. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again in power. And I believe you rule heaven forever. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, save me. Oh Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall in power on people who've received you as Christ. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. Guide them that might, they might know you in your word. Transform them that they might demonstrate the very virtues of Christ. Use them to strengthen the church and reach the world. And use us to go and change the world. We pray for divine appointments this week for desperate people who have no hope that we might share with them this message of life. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.